thank you for listening to the Fred Lowry Podcast. We hope this message will inspire and encourage you. Don't forget to connect with Dr. Fred by visiting fredlowry.com. And also connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. In the Gospels, we have snapshots of Jesus. We see Him with individuals. We see Him with groups of people. And in each snapshot, two things happen. First thing is, He reveals to them who He is. And that's what He wants to do for you. The second thing, they are never the same after meeting Jesus. And the good news is those two same things are still happening today. In the last two weeks, 18 people have professed faith in Jesus Christ. Because some people say, you know, God doesn't work today like He worked in the past. God's not saving people today like He saved people in the past. The Greek word for that is baloney. Jesus is the same in Hebrews 13, 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And if it doesn't appear that God is working like he once worked, guess whose fault it is? God is always willing to work. And so our first snapshot marks the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. For 400 years, heaven had been silent. No prophet, no spokesperson for God. Silence. In Birmingham, Alabama, several years ago, a man pulled up to a hospital right uh, under the canopy in front of the front door of the hospital to get his wife, who was in the lobby, with their new baby. He had a three-and-a-half-year-old child in the back seat asleep, and he got out of the car, went right inside the lobby to get his wife, and when he turned to come out, his car was gone. And, of course, the baby, the three-and-a-half-year-old, gone. All the television stations were talking about it, the radio stations. And people all over Birmingham were concerned what happened to this three-and-a-half-year-old child. They finally found an abandoned car, but no child. But people continued to look. Hours had gone by. A Vietnam vet heard the story on the radio, and he had a specially equipped van. He was paralyzed, but he could, he could get in that van and drive that van. And so he got in his specially equipped van, and he went to the area where the abandoned car was, and he went from house to house, pulling up in every driveway, looking for that three-and-a-half-year-old child. He pulled up into one driveway, and he, it looked like the house was abandoned, and he saw a stack of papers on the porch, and he thought he saw a paper move. And so he, he rolled down the window, and he leaned his head out, and he heard a voice that says, Daddy, is that you? And the man said, No, but I've come to take you to your father. 
That was the ministry of John the Baptist. By the way, that's our ministry also, taking people to Jesus. John the Baptist was not the answer, and he was the first one to say it. I'm not even worthy to tie or untie the shoes of the one who's coming after me. I'm just a spokesperson. I'm just introducing him. I'm just preparing a way. And so we have the startling appearance of John the Baptist after 400 years of silence. Powerful yet humble. Colorful yet authentic. We read about it in Matthew chapter 3 verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, making straight paths for him. And everybody pays attention to this next verse. It says, John's clothes are made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. So he was a colorful dude, but he was authentic. He was real. Jesus, by this time, 30 years of age. And he walked 60 miles from Nazareth to the banks of the Jordan River so that he could be baptized. He walks from Nazareth to the banks of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The first step of the Lord Jesus in initiating his ministry on this earth was baptism. What that means for you and me is if baptism was the first step in the public ministry of Christ and he tells us we're to follow in his footsteps, then our first step after receiving Christ ought to be baptism. John 1, 29, listen to what he says. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John recognized Jesus. Perhaps three things could have played into that. The radiance of his personality. Jesus Christ had a radiance about him. He had a warmth about him. He had an attractiveness about him. He drew people to himself. I remember the first time I ever met Billy Graham. I couldn't get over how compelling he is. His eyes, his countenance is something that just draws you to him. Jesus Christ was that and a lot more. So the radiance of his personality, the reality of his kinship, he was a cousin remember to John the Baptist. And perhaps at a Jerusalem feast, they had met. They had played together. But the key reason he knew Jesus was revelation from God. Verse 33, I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This unique person, John the Baptist, in this first snapshot with Jesus, it seems that God ordained him to give one sentence to the world. Just one sentence. What would your one sentence be? 
Behold a man who can raise the dead. And to be honest with you, I couldn't do what I do. In the last few months to bury young people, I couldn't walk with families in tragedies if I didn't believe <clears throat> that God raises people from the dead. Perhaps you would say, behold, he raises people from the dead. Or behold, here is a man who speaks and 2,000 years later, we're still holding on to every word that he said. Behold, the man who can take a little lunch, one tiny lunch of poverty and can feed thousands of people. Behold, the man who can heal the sick regardless of the illness. He is the great physician. He is the divine healer. All healing is divine. Or behold the man who steals the storms. Who of us has not gone through storms? With the faith and the assurance that Christ has the power to steal the storms of life. And to give us an inner calm when we're walking through troubled waters. Behold the man who can walk on water. The very things that trouble us, Jesus walks on. Or perhaps you would say, behold the man who is commander in chief of 12,500 angels. Well, it's really 12 legions of angels. And a legion is 6,000. So we're, really we're looking at 72,000 angels. Behold the man who has an army, an angelic army of 72,000. You say, well, that's not that big of army. Well, remember one angel killed 18,500 Assyrians in Sennacherib. So that one man can defend a nation. By the way, if you want to know who our homeland security is, it's Jesus. He alone can defend an entire nation. But John passed up all those things. Any of those things could have been said and would have been true. But the one sentence that John uttered, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Nothing greater than that statement. Remember in the Old Testament, the lamb that was sacrificed covered sins. Jesus Christ takes away sins. Behold the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, who sacrificed himself on a cross, that sins could be taken away. You see, John saw the deepest needs of humanity. The real problem is a heart problem. It's a sin problem. The open sore in the world that only Christ can heal is sin. Sin is the curse of the universe. John the Baptist himself, remember how he died? Queen Herodias demanded his head be given to her on a platter. 
And it happened because of the curse of sin. We belong to a fallen family. We're sinners. It's congenital. We're all sinners. How many of you taught your child to lie? Let me see your hand. How many of you have ever had your child tell a lie? Let me see your hand. That's everybody but a couple of liars. Why did your child lie? Did you teach your child to steal? Has your child ever stolen anything? Do you teach your child to act ugly, to be bad? No, they do that automatically because it's congenital. They're born in sin. Here's what the Bible says. In sin did my mother conceive me and I was shapen in iniquity. I read something that you may not like this, but it's, you're going to hear it anyway. Uh, this came out of U.S. News and World Report. William G. Long, who's a Superior Court judge. And so he's not coming from a Christian standpoint. And he's dealing with a verdict. But here's what he says. What we call delinquent behavior is as old and universal as man. Every baby starts out as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. And deny him those wants, and he sees with rage and aggression, which would be murderous, were he not so helpless. He is dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no skills. What this means, of course, is that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. And if permitted to continue in that self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. Now here's where I, I depart with the judge because he's going to say, we've got to educate this child. The problem is that doesn't work. We're born delinquents, that's true. We're born into a fallen family. We belong to a sinful race. Redemption begins with our lostness. See, you can't get someone saved until you first get them lost. We have to understand that we're lost, that we're sinners, and that we face inevitable death and that we'll be judged before God. And if we're going to win people to Christ, they have to understand the sin problem. That all our misery, all of our tears, all of our trauma, all of our tragedy, all of our heartbrokenness is as a result of sin. Our world is cursed by sin. You can add sin to anything and it becomes tragic or ugly. However beautiful or however precious, add sin to it and it spells tragedy. The sweetest thing in the world, the sweetest word of the human language, perhaps is love. 
add sin to it. And you get lust and pornography and prostitution. Marriage and home. How beautiful. How precious. But add sin to it and you get anger and jealousy and bitterness and hate and divorce. Money. So helpful and essential in our world today. But you add sin to it and you get greed, even murder. Take a gun, add sin to it. A movie and add sin to it. A TV program and add sin to it. Add sin to anything and it destroys, it damns. It's sin that brings the tears, the sorrow, the misery in the human life. That's why John's statement about Jesus is so wonderful. Sin is the problem. And John says, Behold, here is a man who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who can change the bent of a soul? Who can curb the delinquency in all of us? Only Jesus Christ. Not universities, not prisons. Christ. You can take a, a bum on the railroad track who's stealing food because he's hungry and you can take him and clean him up and put him in a suit of clothes and send him to Harvard and he'll come back and steal the whole railway system. Because education is not the answer. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Nothing else will do that. The old has gone, the new has come. I remember when I was in a meeting with, with uh, William Bennett, who was then the drug czar. And he said, I ask people when I travel across America, take me to the place where something is working with drugs. I want to know what works. And he said, 75% of the time, I'm taken to a church. Because Christ works, and not just temporarily, but long-term. New, a new day, a new life, a new hope, a new home, a new person, a new husband, a new wife. Because here is a man who has taken our sin, who has paid our penalty. All of that should have fallen on me. It should have fallen on you. You know, I think out of all the people in the Bible, Barabbas understands this truth more than anybody else. I don't know what happened to Barabbas, but I just feel like that he was hiding when Christ was crucified in the bushes somewhere watching. And as, as he watched Jesus die, he kept thinking, that should have been me. He's taken my cross. He's paying my debt. And when Jesus entered heaven, he walked into heaven arm in arm with a thief. That's the grace. That's the forgiveness. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. And let me tell you this. John was pointing people to Jesus, and there is no greater privilege in this life than pointing people to Jesus Christ. Nothing better. Nothing more fulfilling. Friday afternoon, I had an appointment to, to talk to a man who's going to make his decision public this morning, and, and I forgot about it. I know you're surprised at that. Normally, Friday afternoons, I don't have appointments, and, and I was on the other side of Shreveport. And uh, Terry called and said, there's a man here that wants to, to see you. And uh, I turned around and came back. And we spent about an hour or more together, and he accepted Christ. And it does not matter why I was going to Shreveport. All that paled into insignificance. I was going to Lifeway Bookstore, if you really want to know. Uh, and that's one of my favorite places to go. But that, you see, I left Friday afternoon incredibly fulfilled because there is nothing there's no greater privilege there's nothing more fulfilling than simply pointing people to Jesus and we're starting something new called the net and we're asking you who've been through soul winning programs to, to step forward and be a mentor and then others of you to step forward and be mentored so that we can share Jesus Christ Matthew 3 verse 13 then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. That's a normal response, isn't it? And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is, is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Let me tell you something unique in this. For the first time in recorded history, at the baptism of Jesus, we see all three persons in the Godhead actively represented. Here we have the Trinity, the Son being baptized, the Spirit descending bodily as a dove, and the Father speaking audibly out of heaven. The triune God, the Trinity. And as we look at this snapshot of Jesus and John, we see five essential things about Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus is declared from heaven to be the Son of God. God himself opened up the heavens. Remember, God had been silent for 400 years. And then John the Baptist comes, basically with one sentence, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus comes to John, and John recognizes him, and Jesus asked to be baptized. And then God opens up the heavens and he speaks. This is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. 
nearly 700 years before, Isaiah the prophet had said, for unto us a child is born, thus a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Jesus he's talking about. Luke 1, 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. John 1, 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So in this first snapshot, we know for a fact that Jesus is deity. He is God's Son. We have God's verbal testimony. No higher authority. Case is closed. Jesus is God in human flesh. God's Son. And we get that in the first snapshot. The second thing. We see that Jesus demonstrates an attitude of humility. This is one person who had a right to be proud. But remember his own words. He said, I am humble and gentle. He has been declared by God to be God's son, to be God in human flesh. And yet he voluntarily submits to being baptized by John the Baptist, a sinful human being. Philippians 2.5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a verse that stirs you, makes you mad sometimes as it's in there? It's one of those you just wish hadn't been in there. Don't look so spiritual. Sometimes I wish this verse was not in there. Sometimes during this service I wish this verse was not in there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to show pride, to hold it over somebody, but made himself nothing. Wow. Nothing. See, if you want to know how spiritual you really are, let somebody make you out to be nothing. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. So that begs the question, do you possess humbleness, gentleness, First Peter says, we're never to have a proud spirit. In fact, a proud Christian is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. Because we're to be like Jesus, the meek, the lowly, the gentle one. We're to have a servant's attitude. And remember the test of whether or not you're a servant is how you act when you're treated like a servant. Jesus made himself a servant, and so should we. Number three, Jesus publicly dedicates himself to the supreme purpose for which he came. 
Now this is all this first snapshot, this first glimpse that we have. Baptism is the public inauguration of the ministry and the work, the redeeming work, the essential work of Jesus Christ. He did not need to be baptized. He had no sins to confess or repent of. He was God. And yet he came to this world to identify with sinful man and to offer himself at the disposal of the Father for the purpose of redemption. That's why he came. And that's why that sentence, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is so important. Matthew 20, 28, Just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He offered himself as God's sacrificial lamb. That's how you and I can be saved. Number four, Jesus revealed the manner in which this redemptive work should be accomplished. It's amazing how in this first snapshot we get all the information we need about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did and why he did it. Redemption is through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How is he going to redeem this world? Death, burial, and resurrection. How is he going to save you, a delinquent sinner, helpless? Death, burial, and resurrection. And baptism is a picture a wonderful picture, a blessed picture of that redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2, it just watch the screens. By this gospel you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is. If you want to know what's important, here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now look what it says in Romans 6, 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may be raised to live a new life. Are you understanding the importance of baptism? It's a picture of redemption. It's the way you're saved. What Christ did by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He died for your sins. He was raised for your justification. Baptism. The word means, it's baptismal, it means to plunge under. I don't know any religion today that's, that's holding on to sprinkling, claiming that they do it because it's biblical. It's convenient, but they all acknowledge that biblically it was to put under. And every time you hear about baptism, in, in Matthew 3, 16, it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Sound like sprinkling? Mark 1, 10, and Jesus was coming up out of the water 
John 3, 23. John was baptizing at Enon near, <coughs> near Salem because there was plenty of water. So baptism shows the manner of his redemptive work. The fifth thing we see is that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit for his public ministry. When he was baptized at that moment, the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lighting on him. You see, from his conception through his ministry, through his death on the cross, it was all by the eternal Spirit. He is anointed for ministry, anointed for service. If a man who has never sinned is being anointed by the Holy Spirit for service, doesn't that mean that you and I need to be anointed by the Spirit for service? If Jesus needed it, how much more do we need it? Zechariah reminds us in verse 6 of chapter 4, he said, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, talents, any of that stuff, gimmicks, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. If we do great things for God, it won't be because of great talent, great ability, great dreams, great visions. It'll be because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. If you become a great soul winner, it'll be because of the anointing of God's Spirit. If you become a great Sunday school teacher, it will be because of the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. And that anointing comes and goes depending on whether or not He is in control are you in control? The moment you think that you are gifted and the moment that you think you are good is also the moment that the Holy Spirit is not anointing what you're doing. You're out there on your own. Now let me give some application. It is essential that we profess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who purchased our redemption by his death, burial, and resurrection. There's only one way to connect with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. There are many ways that seem right. There's one way that is right, and that is Jesus Christ. The gospel is so simple. A, B, C. A, all have sinned and come short of God's glory. We've talked about that. We're all delinquents. And we can't help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't educate ourselves into being good people. We're sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that God sent him in the world, and that he loved you so much that he took your place on a cross so that you could be forgiven. And see, confess Christ, that He is your Lord and Savior, and that you publicly acknowledge that to be so. If you've never done that, today is the day you ought to do it. The second thing, It is extremely important that we follow the footsteps of our Savior 
by submitting to baptism. Look back at verse 15. It says, Jesus was baptized, why? To fulfill all righteousness. Literally to do what was right and pleasing to God. Jesus who didn't need baptism. But he did it because it was right and pleasing in God's eyes. And then Jesus turns around and says, follow me. The first thing Jesus did to initiate his public ministry was to be baptized. And the first step for you after receiving Christ is to be publicly baptized. In baptism, we become one with him. United in that holy ordinance, dead with Him, buried with Him, resurrected with Him. And my friend, when you publicly go into those waters, dead with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ to walk in a new and different life, a new creation, God says, I am well pleased. It's also an experiential truth. All of me baptized. That's the importance of immersion. All of me baptized. Now, sometimes I kid and wish that I could baptize people with their pocketbooks in. Because sometimes that, 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 you know, you get a person, but you don't get the pocketbook. So. And there are others that I wish I could tell them to stick out your tongue and let's baptize the tongue because that... That causes a lot of problems. But in baptism, it's all of me given to God. Everything is covered. I'm dead to me. I'm dying with Christ, who was dead and buried. And then I'm resurrected with Christ to walk a new and different way. Listen to me and hear this. This is the most important statement I'm going to make today outside of John's statement about Jesus Christ. Baptism is not a denominational issue. It is a biblical issue. It is what the Bible says that Christians are to do. And there are nine recorded baptisms in the book of Acts itself as the new church gets started. And then when, before Jesus left, he gave us a commission. He told us what we're to do till he comes back. And here's what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's the net. That's visiting. That's witnessing. That's evangelizing. And then baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What are we to do till Jesus comes back? What are we to do till he calls us home? We're to be winning people to Christ and helping them follow through in baptism. And then teaching them the truths of God. Application number three. It is critical that we experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our service for Him. The full blessing of God can only be experienced when we are willing to obey Him absolutely. 
If you want the full blessing of God, the requirement is to obey Him absolutely. If you want to hear Him say, I am well pleased, then you have to be willing to do exactly what He wants you to do. When you're willing to obey Him in every area of your life, you can expect Him to say, I am well pleased. Maria and her daughter, Christina, lived in their home. Christina's father died when she was an infant. They lived in a small neighborhood in a tiny Brazilian village. Her mom, Maria, never remarried. They lived in basic poverty. Finally, Christina got old enough to get a job to help out. But Christina had these dreams of the big city. She dreamed of exchanging the dusty roads of her village for the city streets of the city life. And that broke her mother's heart because her mother knew that were she to go to the city, the only way she could make a living would be by prostitution. And that broke her heart. And so she was shocked when she woke up one morning to find an empty bed. Christina was gone. And that mom immediately started throwing her clothes in a bag. She gathered all her money and she ran out the door. She knew where she was headed. She knew where Christina was going. And on her way to the bus stop, her only stop was at a drugstore. And she went in that drugstore and they had a photo booth in there and she went in that photo booth and closed the curtain and she made photographs of herself, black and white photos. She made them for as long as she had time. And then she left that drugstore with a purse full of black and white photos of herself and she boarded that bus to Rio de Janeiro. And when she got in that city, she went to every club, every joint, every hotel where street walkers and prostitutes would hang out. And in every one of those places, she left a picture of herself with a message on the back. On mirrors in bathrooms, hotel lobby mirrors, attached to a corner phone booth, when she ran out of money and ran out of pictures, she went home. A few weeks later, Christina, young Christina, walked down the stairs of a hotel. Her face tired. Her dreams now had become nightmares. And as she got at the bottom of the stairs, her eyes focused on a picture, on a mirror in that hotel lobby. And she realized that picture was her mom. Her eyes started to burn. Her throat got tight. And she went over and took that picture off that mirror and turned it over. 
And it said, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, all of them, and who says to you and me, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Come home to Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Fred Lowry Podcast. Don't forget to connect with Dr. Fred by visiting fredlowry.com. And also connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok.